The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There's none who does good, not even one. Have they no knowledge, all the evildoers who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon the Lord? There they are in great terror, for God is with the generation of the righteous. You would shame the plans of the poor, but the Lord is his refuge. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. When the Lord restores the fortunes of his people, let Jacob rejoice. Let Israel be glad. That is Psalm 14, which along with Psalms 12 and 13 are the Psalms appointed for today, Wednesday, July the 6th, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. We are uh, today looking, beginning a look at the book of Deuteronomy, which, as I've said before, is Moses' valedictory address. So it's, he knows that he's going to be leaving, he's going to be dying before they get into the land. And so th- these are his final words to the people, the instruction, admonition, and even his um, lack of uh, belief that they're going to do this well from here on. And then we're also continuing in... Matthew's Gospel, chapter 23, verses 27 to 39. You could look at that the same way in very many ways because this is Jesus knows that he's coming to the end of his life and he's speaking to the leaders of the people, particularly here in this section, um, and, and saying, you know, it's not going to go well for you and you're, you're not who you think you are. Um, and then we're also in Paul's letter to the church at Rome, chapter 9, verses 1 to 18. So in the, in the Deuteronomy passage, we're, we're just getting the beginning of this. We're in the chapter 1, the first 18 verses. So these are the words that Moses spoke to all Israel beyond the Jordan, in the wilderness, in the Arabah, opposite Suf, between Paran and Tophel, Laban, Hazaroth, and Dizahab. So he, they're just placing us in space where this happened. It's 11 days' journey for Horeb by the way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. So he's just giving us geographical uh, landmarks so that we can triangulate. I can't triangulate it, but hopefully the people who read it at the time could triangulate that place exactly where it was. So in the 40th year, so we're 40 years after they left Egypt, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses spoke to the people of Israel according to all that the Lord had given him in commandment to them. After he had defeated Sion, the king of the Amorites, who lived in Heshbon, and Og, the king of Bashan, who lived in Ashtaroth and Edrai. So the, the way that we understand these two particular kings, Sihon, the king of the Amorites, and Og, the king of Bashan, the way that we understand those two kings, are they are the last of the giant clans, the giant clans that, that go back to uh, Genesis 6, actually, and the Nephilim. Uh, and the giant clans then persevered after the flood as well. And so that's who these people are. And there is archaeological evidence that giant clans did indeed live in the lands where these two men were the kings. And so the, the reason that they're singled out here and mentioned is because that's who they are. Beyond the Jordan, in the land of Moab, which is where Balaam and Balak were, Moses undertook to explain this law, saying, so this is sort of a continuation of the story that we had been reading from Numbers, where, remember, they were encamped opposite Moab, and that's what aroused the fear of uh, the king of Moab, whose name is Balak, and he called Balaam to come and curse them. So they're in the wilderness, they're posing no threat to Moab, and yet Moab perceives the threat because of the large number of people there. But, but they're not going to Moab. That is not their land. So 
While they're there, Moses begins to speak. The Lord our God said to us in Horeb, Mount Sinai, you have stayed long enough at this mountain. Turn and take your journey and go to the hill country of the Amorites and to all their neighbors in the Arabah, in the hill country and the lowland and in the Negev and by the sea coast, the land of the Canaanites and Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. See, I have set the land before you. So he's given the parameters of the land here. So that's what he's given them is these are this is the land that I'm giving to you. And he says, see, I've set the land before you. Go in and take possession of the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, to give to them and their offspring after them. At that time, I said to you, I'm not able to bear you by myself. The Lord has, your God has multiplied you, and behold, you are today as numerous as the stars of heaven. In other words, God has fulfilled the promise to Abraham because you are as numerous as the stars of heaven. And therefore, I told God at that time, I can't carry this people. They are too numerous. It's actually what Jethro had said to him, is to said, this is too much work for you. You've got to divide this up and raise up some other leaders to help you with the work. So he says, may the Lord, the God of your fathers, make you a thousand times as many as you are and bless you as he has promised you. So he's praying over them that the Lord would bless them by multiplying them even more than they already are. How can I bear by myself the weight and burden of you and your strife? Choose for your tribes wise, understanding, and experienced men, and I'll appoint them as your heads. And you answered me, the thing you've spoken is good for us to do. So I took the heads of your tribes, wise and experienced men, and set them as heads over you, commanders of thousands, commanders of hundreds, commanders of fifty, and commanders of tens, and officers throughout your job, your tribes. So what he did was he, he set up leaders and, and said, okay, these guys can lead very large numbers. These can lead smaller numbers. These can lead yet smaller numbers. And so they, they've got a, a hierarchical chart where you've got leaders who, who have other leaders under them and so on and so forth. So, and I charged your judges at that time, hear the cases between your brothers and judge righteously between a man and his brother or the alien who is with them. You shall not be partial in judgment. You shall hear the small and the great alike. You shall not be intimidated by anyone for the judgments God's. He says there's nothing to be intimidated about because you're speaking for the Lord when you make these judgments on the people. So just know that you're, all you're doing is divining and dividing God's law in any case that comes before you. So these are, these are civil cases, but those civil cases are going to be dealt with according to the law of God. Now, it would have been easier in some ways while they were in the wilderness because nobody owned property, and, I mean, other than sort of they didn't own physical, real property like real estate. They owned other things, and so there would have been disputes that arise concerning things as they went along, and so those had to be decided according to God's law. But they would have been simpler cases in some cases, in some ways, than than if there was real real estate involved, for instance, and, and other things that can happen only among a settled population. And so Moses would have to have raised up and taught these men as God taught him. And so he raised them up, and he says, don't, don't be intimidated by anybody, because this is simple stuff. It's all according to God's law. It's just, and, you know, it, you can say that. And like I said, the simpler cases would have been the cases that they would have had while they were out in the wilderness than, than when they were settled people. There would have been less trade. There would have been less uh, issues over boundaries of real estate and all those kinds of things. So the the cases would have been slightly simpler than than if they were somewhere else. And so he said, just just do God's will. You don't have to be intimidated by anybody. Just do what God says to do. And the case that's too hard for you, bring it to me and I'll hear it. 
and I commanded you at that time all the things that you should do. So the org chart would have looked like Moses at the top, and then these commanders over thousands. There would be, you know, some for each tribe who would have been over thousands, and then some over hundreds, and some over fifties. And so the, the probably the ones over the thousands would have been sort of Moses's inner circle that he would have dealt with, and probably there was conversation between them, you know. And, and so all this has to be determined. And one of the things you need to understand is is that that the Jewish understanding, at least now, is is that that he was given also at the same time as the written law, the Torah, the first five books. At the same time he was given that, he was also given the oral law, which are the interpretive cases of the law. So all this was supposedly given to him at Mount Sinai, not just the the written law itself. And so they think that the, the oral law goes back that far. It's codified later in what we know as the Talmud. And, and, and it's codified because they began to spread over all the earth. As long as they were in the land or they were exiled in a place, they didn't need the Talmud. And so the way they, they understand it and explain it is, is that it was all there before, but it's just, it just had to be written down because of the Jewish diaspora. <clears throat> So they needed to be able to communicate the same thing everywhere, and it was harder to do once they were spread over all the earth. In the gospel today, Jesus is continuing to, to rail against the Pharisees and the scribes. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're like whitewashed tombs, which appear outwardly beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. Like I said yesterday, he said, you know, you clean the outside of the cup, but the inside's a mess. And so this is, this is just a follow-on to that. It's the same thing. So you outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, for you build the tombs of the you hypocrites. You build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in the shedding of the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you're sons of those who murdered the prophets. So what he says is that, that you make a big show of going out here and taking care of the prophets' tombs and, and making them monuments and shrines, and, and, and at the same time you take pride in the belief that if you had been around at that time, you would not have done as our fathers did. He says, yep, so at the, you witness that you're their children. Fill up then the measure of your father's. They couldn't have had any earthly idea what that meant, but the crucifixion of Jesus filled up the measure of their fathers. You serpents, you brood of vipers, where we heard that before. That's exactly what John the Baptist called them when they came out to him to be baptized. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore, I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you'll kill and crucify, some you'll flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. So Jesus says, you're going to do exactly the same works your fathers did. You're going to reject the word of God and the, 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 uh, the admonition of God to get you to repent. You're going to do the same thing. That they did. And not only do they crucify Jesus, we also know that Paul, for instance, well, look at Stephen, first martyr, and Paul went to capture others. And we know that there was great persecution against the church early on. He said, truly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. In other words, this, this is all going to come to pass in your generation. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. So it's, what he's talking about is how much God loves 
his people, how much he loves the city that bears his name, where the temple is. And yet what he's saying is, you won't turn to me. You will not do it. And he's blaming the leaders because as the leaders go, so go the people. It's true today as well. I mean, people choose the churches they want to go to. I mean, let's let's not let's not just blame the leaders, but people are going to choose the leaders that are preaching the things that they want to hear as well. And, and that's a danger in the church because there's a lot of places where truth is not preached at all anymore, where Jesus is not held up as the way, the truth, and the life. And so it 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 becomes the place where people will go to those churches, but not for very long, because ultimately the question is, well, why do I even need this? We who accept that salvation is in Christ alone, by faith alone, and grace alone, we recognize our need of Him. We recognize our need of the Word and and the, the gathering and the constant instruction and worship. He says, see, your house is left to you desolate. They will see that many of them, within their own lifetimes, because the the temple is destroyed only 30-something years later. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, there's two ways to say that, right? There's the way that the people said it when he came into the city on Palm Sunday, but then ultimately what we know from Revelation is, is that every knee will bow and recognize him. Some for everlasting life and some for, well, not. But everybody ultimately will. The truth will out. It, Paul, in the letter to the Romans, he's gone through a lot of his theological uh, teaching on, on conviction of sin for all people and the need of a Savior. And now he, he's going to speak about his own people, the Jews. He says, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. I know the things that I'm saying are true. I don't have an ulterior motive for saying these things. He says, he says, my conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that these things are actually true. They're not things that Paul would have preferred to be true. <laughs> He's had to deal with a lot of persecution from his own people along the way. Certainly, we read that in, in uh, the book of Acts, for instance. We see it constantly that he's persecuted by other Jewish people. But the, ultimately here, he says, look, I, I don't want to say these things. I wish these things were not true, but they are. <clears throat> that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. He said, I would rather be cut off than to see them cut off. But I don't have that choice. They're Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory. The adoption is his people. The glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. Paul's saying that, that Judaism is important. Christianity didn't replace Judaism. They still have the covenant, the everlasting covenant with them. We're grafted in, is the way that he's going to, going to say it. And that, that's an agricultural term, that, that if you want to make a, a new strain of something, then you graft something into an existing strain, the, the natural strain. You graft in a wild thing, and then it, too, will begin to be nourished from the same taproot. So that's what he's saying here. The, this is all really important. He says, without them, there's no law, there's no covenant, there's no worship, there's no Christ. But it's not as though the Word of God has failed, he says. It's exactly what Isaiah says, in, or God says through Isaiah in Isaiah 55, that the, that the Word of God doesn't return to him void, but it accomplishes the purpose for which he intended it. He says, the Word of God didn't fail, 
for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And the argument that he's making here is, is that that many Jews came in. Remember, I mean, on the day of Pentecost, the thousands of people that came in were all Jews, or they're proselytes, one or the other. And then for most of the next six chapters of, uh, or eight chapters, really, of, of um, Acts, all the people who are coming to faith are Jews. So some of them are coming into eternal life. They're coming into the kingdom of God. They're becoming truly children of God. But there are others who didn't. He says not, but, but and he's making that distinction here. He's going to say, so those people, he's going to relate back to the people he's getting ready to describe. Not all who descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because there is offspring. Just being born of Abraham, he says, are not children of Abraham according to the covenant. He says, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Well, we know that he had another one, right? We, he, he had a child by Hagar named Ishmael, and he is intentionally saying here, no, he's not Israel. That Those people aren't Israel, and he's making that, that kind of comparison that here between Hagar and Ishmael and those who have come into the new covenant who have believed in Jesus and those Jewish people who did not believe, and he's comparing those two things. He'll do the same thing again in Galatians. He said, this means that it's not the children of the flesh who are the children of God. So just being born of the flesh, Ishmael, isn't sufficient to make you a child of God. You had to have come in through Isaac. He he says, even then, (laughs) he said, the children of the promise are the ones who are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said about this time next year, I'll return and Sarah shall have a son. And and he goes on to say, that's not even enough. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, the son of Abraham and Sarah, <clears throat> though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in the womb, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, as it did with Ishmael and Isaac, <clears throat> not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told the earth older will serve the younger. As it's written, Jacob I have loved, Esau I hated. So God knew foreknew who these men would be. And so he chose Jacob. And sometimes you can read the story of Jacob and think, why in the world did he choose him? Not a good guy early in his life, certainly. So he's saying that election, God elected Isaac, not Ishmael, and then he continued that in the election of Jacob and not Esau. He says, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I'll have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion. Does that mean God's fickle? Does that mean God has favorites? Yeah, he has favorites. It's because he knows things we don't know. Fickle would be no reason for making choices. But sometimes what we see is, I don't see why God made that choice, but he did. Therefore, I've got to respect that. I've got to believe that that's best. And so that's exactly what, he, what his argument is here. God's not saying, I, I just make decisions on the fly about who I'm going to have mercy on. No, he's saying, no, he has his reasons. We have to trust him that he's not only great, but he's also good. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. In other words, it doesn't matter. It's not by deeds that anybody is saved or gets in. No, it's by God. He chooses and who he has mercy on. He says, for the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I have raised you up 
that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed on the earth. So God was going to be glorified through Pharaoh. And he says, I chose you. I raised you up even to be this person that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. And we know that it was because God triumphed over Pharaoh. He triumphed over him in the land with the plagues, but more so at the Red Sea. And we know that that was known everywhere because Balak knew it. And so also then does Rahab in Jericho when Joshua sends spies there. So God got glory, not just in Egypt, but in that whole area and that whole region. And he did it because Pharaoh was the guy he was. So God did all this stuff through Pharaoh. He raised him up, put him in the right place at the right time to use him for this. But... Pharaoh got nothing out of it. So God used him, chose him for the purpose of displaying his power because Pharaoh was the kind of guy he was who would get his back up and oppose God. So he didn't benefit from this. He could have. All he had to do was open his eyes and bow his knees to the one who had proven that he was greater than him, but he refused to do that. And so, like I said, in the gospel lesson, that's exactly what Jesus says, I'll tell you, you won't see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hopefully, you say that with joy. But if not, you'll say it anyway. So then finally, Paul ends with, so then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. Hardening refers back to Pharaoh. He hardened Pharaoh's heart. And there's a funny translate, the way that that should actually kind of be translated is he strengthened Pharaoh's heart in opposition. So he, he, he allowed him to be stronger in his opposition and get his back up and to, be, to stand against the Lord. But God did that in order to save many because he knew who Pharaoh was and what his intention was vis-a-vis God. He believed himself to be God and to be ultimately powerful, at least in Egypt. So we need to be those who are soft towards the Lord. We need to be quick to repent. We need to be quick to hear conviction of sin in our lives so that we might become more and more like him. And the more we become like him, the more we can be certain that we are in Christ.